Uh, sometimes it can be hard to keep going all the way to the end. Uh, there, is a, there was a long-distance swimmer uh, in the United States, Florence Chadwick. She was born in uh, San Diego in 1918. Uh, by the time she was 10 years old, she was already a world-renowned long-distance swimmer, having won some major races. Uh, in her career of swimming, she, won, uh, she broke the record for the fastest crossing of the English Channel uh, by a female, 32 kilometres, and she did it in 13 hours and 20 minutes. Uh, in 1952, at the, in the twilight of her career, she returned home to California and she set out to be the first woman ever to swim the Catalina Channel. It was going to be kind of her victory lap, her victorious homecoming. The, the channel was 34 kilometres wide, which to mere mortals like you and me sounds like a long way, uh, but for a long-distance swimmer, that's not too bad. Uh, and she's going to be swimming from uh, Catalina Island back to Long Beach in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, now, compared to what uh, Chadwick had done in the past, this is, this is going to be easy. This is going to be a walk in the park. Local waters, home crowds, a comfortable distance. Uh, but after 15 hours of swimming, a thick fog descends, and Florence begins to doubt that she can make it. All of her experience, all of her reserves, it all dries up, and exhausted, she gives up, and they pull her out of the water and into the boat. It turns out she was just 800 metres short of her goal. After swimming 33.2 kilometres, she had almost made it into the calm inshore waters and she gave up. Only hundreds of metres short. Why didn't she make it? Why couldn't she get there? Well, when the boat brought her to shore and she stepped off, uh, the crowds and the media, they had this question on their lips. You were so close. Why didn't you make it? And Florence replied, she said, it wasn't the waves and it wasn't the sharks and it wasn't the cold. She said it was the fog, that fog that had descended. She said, the thing that stopped me was that I couldn't see the shoreline. If I'd known how close I was, I could have made it. If only I'd known how close I was, I could have kept going. Uh, now, if you're someone who seeks to be a follower of Jesus, you will know that it can be hard going uh, to stick at it week after week, month after month, year after year, following Jesus, obeying his word, living his ways. The temptation to give up, to throw in the towel, to find a more comfortable, kind of less disruptive option, it, 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 the temptation for that is real. Now, we don't have to deal with fog or sharks or cold, choppy waters, uh, but we live in a world, don't we, that is opposed to God, the God of the Bible, and it's hostile to his word. We live in a culture that has no time for his son Jesus, uh, our Lord, and even less time for those who openly follow him. Uh, in 21st century Wellington, uh, I don't have to tell you this because you know this, you tell me this, uh, in 21st, Wellington, 21st century Wellington, Christians are seen as naive, unenlightened, hopelessly misguided. And in certain circumstances, Christians, those who follow Jesus, are seen as possibly even dangerous. And really, this should come no surprise to us. Uh, the Bible's clear, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we read this. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Will be persecuted. So as followers of Jesus, as we, as we embark on a new year, uh, we're up against it. As we prepare for another lap around the sun, how are we going to keep going trusting Jesus? 
How are we going to keep on pressing towards our goal, the goal of a beautiful, eternal rest with our Creator God? Well, this is where Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 are going to help us. You see, these chapters are all about the importance of keeping on going, of, of making it to the end. Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and 4, it's kind of talking like, like we're on a, a long road trip, and, uh, to, but we're on a long road trip to a five-star destination. And we're on this long road trip and the kids are in the back seat and they're yelling, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they want to stop right now. And you're tired and you're thirsty and, and you're tempted to pull in at that trashy caravan park on the side of the highway and just set up camp there. But Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 is saying, don't do it because there is a better rest that lies ahead. There is a greater rest that lies ahead. Don't give up now. Now, like I said, we're jumping just into Hebrews for this one-off this week. Uh, there's a few things to know about the book of Hebrews to come up to speed. Firstly, uh, no one uh, really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, the second thing is, uh, it was originally written to a bunch of uh, people who followed Jesus, but came from a Jewish background. And, and these particular people were at a particular risk of, of, of returning back to their Jewish roots, turning their back on Jesus and going back to Judaism. Uh, and so the writer warns them, uh, don't do it. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't come up short of your final destination. Uh, don't turn back to the old ways. Uh, now, chapter 3 begins with this comparison between uh, Jesus and Moses. Uh, Moses was the great leader of God's people in the Exodus. God used Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt and lead them through the wilderness, uh, a journey that went right up to the edge of the promised land. Uh, as, and Moses, as well as the leader, he was also the one who brought God's word to his people. Uh, and so these two foundational truths that's kind of tied to this idea of Moses here in Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, these two foundational uh, experiences of God's people, of their rescue from Egypt and, and the receiving of God's word, uh, they are foundational to this picture we get to the building of a house uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Have a look at there in verse 3. Verse 3, uh, Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Uh, what's going on here is the writer of the Hebrews is saying that the people of God are like a house, and Moses is a worthy and faithful servant in the house. But, God, but Jesus is greater, because rather than being a servant in the house, Jesus is the builder of the house, he says. Jesus is the builder of God's people, verses 5 and 6. Moses was a faithful servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son of God over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You see, to these Christians who were tempted to go back to their Jewish roots, to go back to Moses, to go back to the law, uh, the writer of the Hebrews is saying Moses is just a signpost. He's just pointing to a greater future. He's pointing to a, a greater future, a greater reality, which is to be found only in, in Jesus. Which means these original readers who were tempted to give up on following Jesus because life was getting hard. They were tempted to go back to the Old Testament Lord, to go back and stop and be settled with Moses. We're well, saying, well, that would be to pull up short. It'd be like setting up camp at the trashy toilet stop on the side of the road and not actually make it to your five-star destination. 
Because as we see in the rest of this passage, Jesus, he brings a greater rest. Uh, Jesus brings a greater rest. So whatever you do, the writer of the Hebrews says, whatever you do, do not stop short. Uh, Hebrews brings this major warning from uh, this long quote from Psalm 95, a psalm uh, all about the dangers of stopping short. Uh, psalm 95 it was written by the great King David, uh, and it looks back again to this exodus, uh, this time of Moses, uh, where he rescued God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, and King David is reflecting on Moses and his generation and why they didn't make it into the promised land, why they didn't make it into the place of blessing and rest. You see, God had said to these people, trust me, I'll save you. I will lead you through the wilderness and I'll lead you through the wilderness and into a land of milk and honey. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. And in that land together, we will rest. It'll be just like the Garden of Eden. It'll be just like the seventh day when we rested together. And that was the promise God gave his people. But David in Psalm 95 is reflecting on what actually happened. You see, God did lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and he did lead them through the wilderness and he did lead them right up to the edge of the promised land, this land of, of blessing and rest. But as soon as the going got tough, the Israelites, God's people, they started to grumble. They got tired, they got hot, they got hungry and they started to complain. It's too hard. We're miserable following you, God, in this desert uh, it's kind of really cramping my style. I'd rather be back in Egypt where I was a slave. Can't we just go back there? And this happens over and over again and right up to the point where they are on the border of the promised land, where they're about to enter into this rest that God had long promised them. And God says, the land is there. It is yours. Take it. I am giving it to you. And the people say to God, no thanks. You know, the people living in there, they're a little bit big. Uh, we're feeling quite scared. We don't really know, God, whether you're going to give it to us. So we'd rather stop here. We'd rather just die in the desert. And so God says, have it your way. And tragically, that's what they did. They wandered 40 more years in the desert. A whole generation died in the desert rather than entering into God's rest. They pulled up short. They missed out on the land of milk and honey. And this is what David in Psalm 95 is reflecting on as he writes this psalm hundreds of years later. And David wants his own generation not to make the same mistake. Have a look there in chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You see, King David in this psalm, he's saying, I'm warning you today, just like we saw in the past with those grumbling Israelites, I'm warning you today that it would be a terrible thing to miss out on God's rest. We should just stop for a moment and think about the timing of Psalm 95, when it was written. See, if you were David and you sat there and you read Psalm 95 with him, it, it would have seemed a little bit odd. Because when David's talking, they're actually already in the promised land. I mean, there's that one generation, that Exodus generation that missed out, but um, 
That was hundreds of years before. By the time David comes along, they're they're in the land of milk and honey. They're in the promised land. They've got their greatest king, David. They've got a palace. They've defeated their enemies on every side. And it won't actually be long before they start building God, his temple, and things are looking pretty good. And yet at that moment, David says to them, today I warn you, don't make the same mistakes of the past. Don't stop short. Don't fail to enter God's rest, which must have sounded a little bit odd. Because in their minds, they're already there. In their minds, they're probably thinking, this is all there is. But David writes this warning. And Hebrews picks it up for us again, because there are two great dangers that may cause us to throw in the towel, that might cause us to give up. Uh, Dangers that mean we'll settle for the dodgy truck stop with the bad coffee and the graffitied toilets, rather than the five-star destination that awaits us down the road. The first danger is that of a complacent heart. It's where you think you're there. It's where you're happy with what you've got, but you really haven't made it yet. A complacent heart that refuses to accept God, that refuses to trust God's promise of the greatness of the rest that is to come. You see, for the Israelites that David is talking to in the psalm, uh, it's thinking that the promised land that they have is all that there is. It's thinking that when their forefathers uh, followed Joshua into the promised land, that that was as good as it was going to get. When in reality, it was just the beginning. Which is why David can warn his own people in, their, in his own day, people who were in the promised land, he can warn them they need to be careful to keep listening to God's word so they don't miss out on entering into God's rest. They need to be careful of becoming complacent. Uh, which is what Hebrews chapter 4 verses 6 to 11 is saying. Uh, Even when they entered the promised land, there is a far better rest waiting for them up ahead. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, that is, if, if coming into the promised land was really the rest, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You see, even for them, it wasn't just about entering into the promised land. There is a greater rest to come. A rest that will be like that seventh day of creation. A rest with the peace of a world that is no longer corrupt. A rest with all the intimacy between God and his people that isn't broken by sin. There is a greater rest to look forward to. And so Hebrews is saying, David is saying, whatever you do, Do not be complacent. Do not pull up short. And so chapter 4, verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. That's the first danger, complacency. Don't think that you've already made it. Don't sell yourself short. Don't simply look around at the toys and joys of this life and be content with that because God has something so much better to come. On this, uh, the author C.S. Lewis famously said, I'm sure you've heard this before. And he famously said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making pies, mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. 
we are far too easily pleased. Hebrews is telling us there is a better rest to come, an even better promised land, even better than the best of what this world has to offer. So keep going. Keep trusting and following Jesus. Don't turn back. Don't become complacent. Uh, There's a second danger here also that can uh, stop us short from entering God's rest. Uh, It's the danger of having a hard and hostile heart. The danger of a heart that refused to believe, refused to hear the word of God. Uh, This is exactly the issue that brought the first Israelites unstuck in the desert. Uh, Come back to chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 with me. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Or verse 10, God says, That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. In verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see, the problem here, it's pretty clear. The problem is in the heart. And Hebrews saying, make sure you don't have a heart like that. Make sure you don't have a heart that refuses to hear the voice of God. Don't have a heart that refuses to believe the promises of God. Because that's what's going on here in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews. Hard hearts that refuse God's word. They refuse to trust in the promises of God. Uh, There's a little word that actually pops up here that could be a little bit confusing for us. Uh, the word is there at the end of verse 18 and again uh, at the end of uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 11. It's the word disobey or disobedience. Uh, it can be a little bit confusing for us because it can kind of upset the vibe of what's going on. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter my rest, if not those who... Now, here's where our translation says, those who disobeyed. Now, that gives us the vibe that maybe these people have done something a little bit naughty. Um, It leaves us thinking uh, maybe they didn't enter into God's promised rest because they broke a rule. Uh, I don't know, maybe they cheated on their taxes. Maybe they went to McDonald's on the way home and didn't tell their wife, not that I would ever do such a thing. Um, It might lead us to think that they, they, they didn't make it to the end because it was about their performance. They just didn't do the right things. But that's not the idea at all. The original language, uh, it, it, it literally means those who disbelieved. Or stronger than that, those who refused to believe. Those who refused to be persuaded by God's word. It wasn't so much that they disobeyed God's word, they heard it and they wouldn't believe it. And because they wouldn't believe it, they didn't do what it said. They heard God's promise that he had given them rest in the promised land. And in the hardness of their hearts, they refused to believe it. And because they refused to believe it, they didn't enter into the land. They didn't didn't cross the river. They didn't go in and take possession of the promise that was there. And that's kind of the worst kind of disobedience of all, isn't it? Refusing to trust in God. Really, after all that God had done for them in the Exodus, out of slavery saved through the Red Sea, taken right up to the edge of the promised land and getting there and then refusing to trust that God would do as he promised. After all of that, 
Uh, we see this lines up with what uh, is there in verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because they were naughty? No. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And the same again in uh, verse 6 of chapter 4. They did not go in because they disbelieved. They were unpersuaded. And verse 11, don't make the same mistake. Don't follow the example. Verse 11, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disbelief. They'd become the sort of person where, I don't know if you ever meet these people, um, you ask them, what could I do to persuade you to trust in the Word of God? What could I do to persuade you? What, what argument would win? What, what argument would convince you? I don't know if you've met people like this and they say, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm not interested in having my mind changed. Uh, they might not say it as directly as that, but they, um, they might have heard the good news of Jesus time after time after time again. And after hearing God's word explained faithfully and clearly over and over again and patiently, and after all that, they say, no, I'm not convinced. I'm not going to believe it. That's an attitude that comes from the heart, isn't it? Not the head. It comes from a hard and hostile heart that refuses to believe the word of God. A hard and hostile heart that means that they stop short. That they'll miss out on God's promised rest. And so to gather a few of these thoughts together and uh, work out what uh, this might mean for us as we follow Jesus this year, uh, here's what Hebrews is saying to us this morning. It's saying that life following Jesus is hard, but there is still a great rest to come. A rest that is better than you can imagine. A rest that even eclipses the blessings of the promised land. And it's a rest to set our minds and our hearts on. It's a rest to live for as we actively pursue following Jesus without giving up, without turning back. So don't become complacent. Don't settle for anything less than what God has promised. And don't harden your heart. Don't stop trusting in Jesus and listening to his words. Because Hebrews actually presents us with an uncomfortable thought. Uh, Hebrews tells us that refusing to listen to God, refusing to believe his word, it's actually an active choice that we make. Hebrews tells us that today if you hear his voice, it says, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. I mean, there might be people this morning going through this exact process. Hearing God's word in the scriptures and hardening their hearts. Hearing the Bible and deliberately saying, I'm not going to believe it. Deliberately saying, no, I'm fine, thank you very much. Hearing and deliberately saying, no, I'm going to be the one who decides what is right and wrong. Hearing God's word as an encouragement to keep trusting and following Jesus, and they're deliberately saying, no thanks, I'll stop right here, and I'm not going to go any further. Uh, if that's you, then the words in verses 12 to 13 of chapter 4, uh, uh, we need to pay attention to them. If you're someone who sits there and chooses to be unpersuaded, uh, Hebrews says that's not because God's word isn't getting through. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It is finer than any surgeon's scalpel. The Word of God, it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God, it cuts us open. It exposes us. And for some of us, when we hear it, we don't like it. And so Hebrews says, for some of us, we choose to remain unpersuaded. And we harden our hearts. And with hard hearts, we don't look forward to the rest that God has promised, that God has ahead for us. And without that goal, all we can do is try and uh, hope for whatever we can make out of this life that we have. But really, settling just for this world is pulling up at that first rest stop. If you think that the relationship or the career move or the mortgage or the social affirmation or the pursuit of pleasure, if we think that those things are really going to give you rest, are really going to make your heart sing, if you think those things are going to be the things that give your life meaning and purpose apart from God, they're going to fall so far short. As much as we might enjoy these things, they fall so far short of what God has in store for those who hear his voice, those who receive and trust his promise of eternal rest in Christ. Those things are making mud pies in the slum instead of enjoying God's holiday at the beach. So how do we avoid having a hard and hostile heart, a heart that settles for less than what God has promised? Well, there's some practical help here in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. The first thing we're told is we're told to take a trip to the cardiologist. We're told to check our own heart, not literally the cardiologist, but uh, Hebrews tells us to check our hearts. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 12, see to it, it says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from living God. See to it, stop, take your spiritual pulse. And so that means when you're opening God's word, when you're coming along to church, when you're trying to decide whether you're going to go to a community group this week or not, check your heart. Take your spiritual pulse. Are you coming with an attitude that is open to be shaped and changed by God's word, ready to be changed and transformed? Or is your heart telling you, you don't need to listen? You don't need to bother. There are more important things you need to do today, tomorrow, this week. Is it throwing up defenses and excuses for why this part of the Bible doesn't apply to you? The first practical tip is check your heart. Is your heart open to hearing from God's words? The next practical tip is don't go it alone. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, one of the things that's really clear from the book of Hebrews is it doesn't expect us to go alone. It doesn't expect us to do it alone. It uses all this group language, all this other, all this one another language. It's addressed to a congregation. And it looks to the, the, the gathering of, and it tells them to look to the gathering of God's people for help, for help to focus on that final rest, to make sure our hearts aren't being hardened to God's word. And often when we kind of hear this kind of collective language in uh, the Bible, we, we, we think in organized categories, like we think about church and we think about community group and we think about conferences that a bunch of us have been on. Um, but Hebrews has a much broader vision 
uh, for, for how this kind of one another, how this uh, together, how this encouragement will take place. I love how verse 13 says, as long as it's called today. Um, what day of the week is it? Well, it's Sunday, but it's also today. It's always today. Each and every day is today. So every time we gather for church, or if you gather midweek for a community group, or you gather over a coffee or on the bus, or meeting up for a run or sharing a lift or around a dinner table, every single day is today. And so we're to be constantly encouraging each other to keep following Jesus to the end. Uh, and to do this, to be able to really encourage the people around you, um, maybe the first step we need to make is to actually get to know them. To actually get to know them. Maybe you need to invest in some of your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you need to invest in those relationships so you can talk to them about things more than just the weather or the football. And maybe you also need to let them get to know you. Uh, let yourself be known. Let others in so they can know where you struggle. So they can know how they can spur you on. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may, have, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, if only there was someone in that boat alongside Florence as she was swimming. If only there was someone in that, in that boat who was able to lean over the edge of the boat and say, Florence, the coast is just there. I can see it. I can see through the fog. You've nearly made it. You would be crazy to stop now. Is there someone that you can encourage? Is there, can you lean out of the boat and spur someone else on? Who do you know who's in danger of chucking in the towel, of giving up the swim, of, of, of pulling up short? Uh, and if you're struggling and if you're sinking and if you're finding it difficult, does someone know? Is there someone who can help you keep going? Uh, if 2023 is going to be a year where we keep following Jesus, if we keep heading towards God's promised rest, we need to hear what Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says. We're in this together. We need to check our hearts. We need to listen and obey God's word and trust in his promises. As it says in verse 11 of chapter 4, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. Let's pray for God's help in this. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the great promise of eternal rest with you, of a rest that is even greater than the promised land that your people uh, took possession of, a rest that is greater than anything that this world has to offer. And Lord, as we follow Jesus uh, in a city and in a place that uh, has no time for you, we pray we might hold fast to that promise of rest to come, that we might not be complacent and sell ourselves short. Lord, help us to encourage one another to keep going, trusting Jesus, so that we all make it to the end. And Lord, we really do pray that this year might be a year where we grow as your followers, where we become more like Christ, where we continue to serve you with our whole heart, 
and persevere to the end. And Lord, we pray all of these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen.